I'm going to come to our Bible reading, and I want to tell you a story. It comes from Genesis chapter 4. And I promise you that some of the application of this today is going to surprise you. That's a dangerous thing to say, isn't it? It's the story of Cain and Abel. So it's found in Genesis chapter 4. It's page 6 in the, in the Bibles in front of you. comes immediately after Genesis 3. I guess you will have realized that. Um, but Genesis, after th- Genesis 3 deals with, the, with the, um, Adam and Eve being cast out of the Garden of Eden. And so chapter 4 uh, follows on like this. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I've brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from the first, some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. Um, While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Then turn forward a few pages. Actually, this is not on the screen, but turn forward to Exodus 20. It's going to be worth having a quick look there. Starts on page 77. Let's look at page 78. We're looking through the Ten Commandments, and the Sixth Commandment is this. Very simply, Exodus 20, verse 13, it's on page 78. You shall not murder. Father God, thank you that this is very much your word for us for today. And we ask you to take it and apply it to our hearts and give us grace to be honest with ourselves and with others about it. And we ask you in the name of Jesus. Amen. We've been looking at the Ten Commandments and how they apply to the Christian life. They're written in the Old Testament. They're written to God's people, Israel. How do they apply to us as Christians in the New Testament era? Now Jesus has come, lived and died and and risen again. And we've looked at the challenges of uh, only worshipping one God, the true God. Have no other gods before me. Talked about not making an idol, not making mental images. Talked about not misusing the name of the Lord. And then the last couple of weeks, we've had the challenge of keeping the Sabbath and honouring your parents. And I've never had so much reaction to a sermon as I have to the one 
about honouring your parents and how you honour your parents if they were parents you didn't feel like honouring or you didn't think were very honourable. So after those first five, then a casual reader of the Ten Commandments might think that they've reached safe ground for a while. Uh, sixth commandment, you shall not murder. Four words in English, two, two in Hebrew, not murder. Not murdered, very simple, big tick, tick, big tick. No question about this one. I've never murdered anyone, phew. Okay, I can, I can, I can mark that one off as done. Next, you shall not commit adultery, tick. Never slept with anyone but, but my wife since we were married. You shall not steal, tick, yeah. Well, I never went down the shop and tucked something in a bag, but maybe I took a few things from work. Tick, sort of. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. Well, I've never been called up in court as a witness against my neighbour. Big tick. It's done. And you think, ah, oh, be a relief for the next few weeks. But if you've been here over the last few weeks and we looked at these, you'll have that nagging sense that, hang on a minute, didn't, weren't these exactly the commands that Jesus said to the rich young ruler? And the rich young ruler said to Jesus, I've kept all these. And Jesus said, go away and sell everything you have. He didn't go away justified. And didn't Jesus say something about murder in the Sermon on the Mount? Yes, of course he did. So we have to dig a little bit deeper. But before that, we ask, I want to just briefly look at the question, what is murder? Yes, there are sermon notes. I always forget to remind you. They're around the edge and they're down there. And that's why there are words in red on the, um, on the presentation. They come up in the word search if that helps you concentrate. What is murder? What is murder? It's the unlawful taking of a human life. And we need to note at this point in time, just before we go on, that Romans 13, um, Paul says that the one in authority, he's talking about governments here, is God's servant for your good. He says the authorities and governments, they've been established by God um, to keep good order. So they are your servant, God's servant rather, for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid... For rulers do not bear the sword. They do not bear the sword for no reason. This is Romans 13, if you want to look it up. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. So briefly, before we go any further, governments are allowed to bear the sword. Governments are allowed to do things that individuals can't. So the government has biblical authority to judge cases, to arrest people, to imprison people, to go to war if the cause is just, and some would argue they have a right to execute people. Whether we go there or not, what is appropriate or lawful for the state is not necessarily lawful for the individual. If you went out and um, attempted to... Uh, arrest somebody and, and judge them and imprison them somewhere, we, we'd call you a vigilante and you'd be arrested for false imprisonment. If you went out and attempted to execute someone, we, you would, we would call that a lynching and you would rightly be arrested. If you went out and gathered a few friends and you went to war, uh, we would call that an insurrection. Do you get it? There are things that the state can do that individuals cannot. And that's why uh, there is a difference between the Old and New Testaments. It's one of the big differences between the Old and New Testaments. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel, they are a nation state. And governments and states have a right to certain actions which, which individuals do not. In addition, 
Israel are commanded by the Lord in certain situations uh, to carry through certain actions which are legitimate for the state to carry through. But they also know, they also have the, uh, the reassurance, uh, maybe it didn't come as much reassurance, that the Lord knows. The Lord knows precisely who is innocent and who is not. And if you worry about that, go and read um, Genesis 18 um, and come back and talk to me afterwards. But we're not looking at this today. I think we will have to come back to them uh, another day. But let's get through how the Ten Commandments and how they apply to us first. So we're going to stick to this commandment not to murder. And we're going to start by looking at it this way around. Um, in the story of Cain and Abel, that murder is anger acted out. Murder is anger acted out. So this is after Adam and Eve are expelled from the Garden of Eden for their rebellion. And we get this little story of, of, of Cain and Abel. Cain is Adam and Eve's firstborn. And if you remember in Genesis 3, it was promised to Eve that uh, one of her descendants would be um, the serpent crusher, the one who would defeat Satan and, and, and evil. And I think probably Eve thought when she had Cain, look, I brought forth a man. Here he is. Maybe he's going to be the serpent crusher. Sad news is he's going to turn out to be the first murderer. Cain has a younger brother, Abel. Cain worked the soil. We read, Abel kept flocks. Both brought offerings which seem on the surface to relate to their sphere of work, but Cain's offering is not acceptable. Either he knows this beforehand, and I suspect he does, but he certainly knows it when the Lord uh, appears to him and, and, and speaks to him. And I suggest probably the reason it's not acceptable is that there's no blood involved. There's no death involved. Sounds awful, doesn't it? But if there's no blood involved, it doesn't point to Christ. It doesn't point to Jesus. Hebrews 9, the writer notes that the high priest went into the Holy of Holies and only once a year and never without blood. Never without blood. I think that's why Cain's sacrifice is unacceptable. And he is angry. He's angry that his sacrifice has not been received. Who is he angry with? Well, at that initial point, we're not told. We're just told that he's, that he's angry. Who should he be angry with? That's a good question. He's angry. Who should he be angry with? With the Lord? With himself? With his brother? The Lord graciously speaks to him and gives him a chance um, to put it right. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast if you do what is right? Will you not be accepted? So he knows what he has to do at, at this time. The Lord has graciously spoken to him and he gives him a chance to put it right. He's got an option. He's got an opportunity to make it okay. It will involve a climb down of sorts and it probably will involve getting a lamb from his brother so that he can make a sacrifice that involves blood. And the alternative, the Lord says, is to deliberately sin. He's got an option. Put it right 
or, or be wrong with the Lord. Cain is at a fork, and he's told he's at a fork. Sin is waiting, it is lurking, it is ready to pounce. You rule it, Cain, or it will rule you. And we know what Cain chooses. He chooses to plot murder, and at that point, bang, sin has got him, it has pounced, and it walks him down the path. He takes Abel out into the field. You can see that this is premeditated, and he kills him. How about you? You get angry. And you have that sense, don't you? Probably, at least in the nagging in the back of your mind, if it's not like the Lord speaking words out of heaven, you know kind of like the, the, the Lord is there. There is an opportunity to, to, to take it to the Lord. And yes, it involves a kind of, uh, a kind of climb down. Or you've got anger and you know there's an opportunity to take it to the Lord. You dismiss that opportunity um, and you've fallen into temptation. You go down the route of sin and you choose to damage your brother and sister instead. Some of you are doing or have done or faced precisely this temptation. And by doing so, you're cutting the Lord out of the chain. Anger has nowhere to go. And you want it to go to the place where it does damage. You want it in your heart to injure your brother or your sister to strike out. It's so easy, don't tell me you don't know precisely what this looks like and feels like. And the Lord challenges Cain. Um, Where's your brother Abel? I don't know, I don't know. It's probably the tone, isn't it? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to keep an eye on him? Yes, yes Cain. Yes, Cain, you are your brother's keeper, precisely. Are you your brother or sister's keeper? I think he's talking about, it is talking about family, but he's talking about church. Are you your brother's and sister's keeper? Are you their bodyguard? That's the kind of word, that's the way the word is used. Are you your brother and sister's defender? Are you their carer? Are you their watchman? Are you the doorkeeper for them? Yes. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Am I, am I my brother or sister's keeper? Yes. Yes, you are. Murder is anger acted out, unrestrained. And anger is murder in the mind. Don't sit at the fork in the road wondering which way to go because sin is sitting there too, waiting for you to just make the wrong move. Take it to the Lord. That's the good news. Take it to the Lord. He can handle it. Psalms 10, 11, 12, 13. Those are my starting points for, for taking your anger to the Lord. Can you tell that this is a live subject to my mind? <laughs> Murder is anger acted out. Anger is murder in the mind. And that's why Jesus says this. Turn with me to Matthew 5. 
be worth looking up this one. The Bible's in front of you. Page 969. So Matthew 5, starting at verse 21, the little headline in the NIV is murder. Obviously, that's not part of the original text. Jesus says this, Sermon on the Mount. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. And then come and offer your gift. Listen, Jesus says, you've, you've heard it said, anyone, anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who's angry with a brother or sister is subject to judgment. Anger is murder in mind. And the judgment, it seems, doesn't it, is the same. You've heard it says, he says, that anyone who calls a brother or sister raka, and that's the word that would be bleeped out on TV. It's, a, it's, it's really strong and foul language. But Jesus says, somebody who, 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 who is, uses that level of profanity against a brother or sister can be hauled up to the court. But anybody who calls their brother or sister a, a fool will actually be answerable to a much greater and more profound court, which has the option to send them to hell forever. There's a process of devaluing a person. It starts with irritation, it goes through anger, and unrestrained, it ends up in murder. But to entertain anger is to travel down that road that ends in murder. And if you're not intending to murder, why would you start traveling down that road? Or put it away the other way around. Jesus says if you're starting down that road, that's where you're going. So Jesus is clear that anger brings you into the same judgment. But also he says to the extent that you've broken relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ, you will not enjoy the Lord's presence. You will not enjoy the Lord's presence or blessing. Broken relationships break your relationship with the Lord. Yeah, broken relationships break your relationship with the Lord by definition. And there is no choice, no option here other than to resolve them. Let me put it like this. It struck me this morning or last night that sin is always self-harm. Sin is always self-harm. So if the elders come to you and tell you, we think you've sinned, we're not here just trying to get one over on you. We're trying to tell you, you've hurt yourself. You're damaging yourself. Maybe you're damaging other people in the process. Sin is always self-harm, naturally and supernaturally. When you sin, it makes life worse because you're trying to go against the grain that the Lord has built into creation. Relationships are designed to work without anger 
unless it's righteous anger, but I'm not, we're not dealing with that today. Relationships work without anger, and they work when a brother or sister is their brother or sister's keeper. That's how it works. And so if you get angry, you'll destroy relationships, you'll make yourself distrustful, you'll make yourself lonely, um, it will make you ill, it will make you depressed. Sin is always self-harm, naturally and supernaturally. And by supernaturally, I mean when you, when you sin, you'll not know the Lord's blessing on your life. His ability to make life go well. And sometimes I think we don't worry about sin because we don't really believe that the Lord is in the business of making life go well or less well. Well, he is. Absolutely. So sin is always self-harm. It always works out just naturally in, in the way God's made creation, but it works out supernaturally and you lose the blessing that the Lord can put upon your life. So John says this. You could read the whole of 1 John as a, as a commentary on this today. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in darkness. They don't know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. If you're in hate, you're just stumbling around. This is the message you heard from the beginning. It's 1 John 3. We should love one another. Don't be like Cain. Ah, you weren't expecting that, were you? Out of 1 John, unless you've read it recently. Don't be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. This is 1 John, it's not me. 1 John 3.15. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. You have a choice. You have a choice. Are you going to be your brother or sister's keeper? Or are you going to be their murderer? We have some help here. Let's turn to some encouragement. Anger... If you, if you entertain it for any amount of time, it, it has this inevitable desire to do harm. I don't think you can be angry without really wanting to harm somebody or, or something. I want to punish someone. I want to hurt someone. Well, Paul says, Romans 12, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Careful to do what's right in the, end, in the eyes of everyone, if it's possible. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So you hear that? Anger has a desire, you want to repay. <laughs> you want somebody to, to pay, that hurt. And you want, to, you want to hurt somebody. No. It's mine, that's mine, says the Lord. You're taking my prerogative. That's my prerogative. 
my prerogative to, to pay people back for the things they've done wrong, because actually he's the only person who can do it fairly and justly and with the ultimate amount of love. My job, says the Lord, is not yours. And by not hurting, then you leave room for God to work. There's a sense in which if you go in and do it, then you've kind of closed the door on God doing it in a much better and much helpful and more loving way than you could ever have done. But most importantly, really, is that Jesus is our brother keeper. Jesus is our brother. Jesus is the brother who is our keeper. Turn with me to Hebrews 12. It is worth turning to. I am page 1211. 1211. Jesus is our brother and keeper. He is the brother that looks out for us. The book of Hebrews is all about contrasting the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, um, with the New Covenant. And if you turn to chapter 12, verse 18, the writer says, you've not come to a mountain that can be touched. And he's talking about the Israelites um, coming to Mount Sinai. That's burning with fire to a trumpet blast, to a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that they couldn't uh, hear anymore. Sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. It says, verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion. It's picturing the, the, the Christian kingdom as, as kind of gathering around uh, the Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to a, you haven't come to a physical mountain. You've come to a, a, a heavenly kingdom. Come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. So when we worship, that happens. We come and join in, as it were, with the, with the angels to the church of the firstborn. You've come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of righteous made perfect. But this is the important bit. You've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And needs a bit of explaining, needs a bit of thinking about, doesn't it? So the writer is contrasting this old covenant. They came to Mount Sinai, they had the law. We have come to Jesus. <coughs> and in the old covenant, the blood of Abel cried out. That's before the old covenant. But the blood of Abel cried out. And it, it said that, we read it in Genesis 4. What did it cry out? It was, it was constantly going to be crying out to Cain, murderer, murderer. A curse on you, a curse to a restless wandering, never be at peace. And in the new covenant, the blood of Jesus has been shed. He was nailed to a cross. And in the old covenant, the blood of sacrificial animals was sprinkled on things to make them pure and right and holy for use before God. In the new covenant, the blood of Jesus is sprinkled on us so that we can be forgiven and what does that blood of Jesus cry out to you for those who look to the cross and see Jesus there and say he died for me died paying the price for my sin what does this blood say it cries out son my son my daughter you're at peace with me you're right with me rest with me you are forgiven and you are honoured. 
Jesus is our brother who is our keeper, who is constantly looking out for us. So the same writer says in Hebrews 2, the one who makes people holy, that's Jesus, and the one who are made holy, that's us, are the same family. They were of the same family, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers or sisters. Jesus calls you brother, calls you sister. And he's a good brother. Not a brother who comes to murder and harm, but a brother who comes to die in our place. Since the children are flesh and blood, he shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that's the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. That's us. He had to be made like them. Jesus had to be made like us, fully human in every way. In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest and that he might make atonement. Jesus is God becoming flesh and blood so that he might walk in our shoes, know our temptations, understand what we do and so that he might die in our place. Think about it. Jesus is the wrath absorber. Jesus is the wrath absorber, the, the anger of God that should, that should have come, should fall on you. Let's be clear. The wrath of God that should come upon you were you unprotected. It's fallen on Jesus, doesn't it? It's fallen on Jesus on the cross. I was reading part of the Passion in my Bible readings this morning about, about Jesus, Jesus on the cross and the wrath of God that should have fallen on you falls on him, he is the wrath absorber. He is the anger sponge. The anger sink may be where, where the wrath of God goes um, so that it, it doesn't fall on you. This is how we know what love is. Back to 1 John 3. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us love not with words or speech but with actions and in truth. Let's try and sum up. What are you? Can I ask you what you are? Are you keeper or killer? I don't think there's any middle ground. Are you your brothers and sisters keeper or their killer? Are you, are you a brother or are you a butcher? Are you an encourager or are you an executioner? Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in them. If you, are if you are nursing hate and anger, and if that is a pattern that recurs in your life, you've put your salvation in question. Maybe you don't actually have eternal life. You think you're a Christian, but anger and hate keep getting the better of you. That's what John wants to say, isn't it? Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, dear friends, you can hear John, can't you? He's a, he was a softie. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and is made complete in us. Let's pray. Father God, I'm so glad you're my father on this Father's Day. I'm thankful that you are my father because you're a father who is slow to anger and, and rich in love. I'm so glad that Jesus is my brother. And he keeps me. He keeps me. He keeps me from your anger. by dying in my place. And he keeps me on the road when I keep wandering off. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who strengthens me. What a great God we have. And Lord, we, we have to confess that along the line we have sooner or later been murderers in mind. Please forgive us. Please forgive us. Apply the blood of Christ to us afresh. And by your spirit, strengthen us to, to forgive, to let it go, bring it to you, and to renew our commitment to each other, to be our brothers and sisters keepers. And we ask it, uh, and the only authority we can ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Late.